All right, for those of us in this class, we are in Mark 14. Mark 14. Now, last week, we looked at Jesus beginning the Passover. One evening, verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at table, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely not I. Now, when I was a boy, I thought that was very strange. If you're going to betray him, wouldn't you know I'm now 60 years old, and I'm aware that sometimes when you betray Jesus, you only see it in the rearview mirror. You realized you dropped the ball. You realized you'd said the wrong thing. You'd done the wrong thing. You, you had messed it up. I, um, I understand what they're saying now. He says, it's one of the 12, he replied. I find that interesting because, once again, we brought that up last week. In the painting, it's just Jesus and the 12 all on the same side of the table. There would have been a larger group. There would have been people that owned the house. There would have been uh, people coming in and out. That's the way Passover's work. So that's why he's saying it's one of the inner circle. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. Again, most Americans think that is his way of identifying G uh, Judas. And in some ways it is. But that's not the point. It was reprehensible beyond all words for somebody that you ate with to turn on you. That's the point of it. It's somebody I'm in fellowship with, somebody I love, somebody who eats with me. Remember, in the first century, you are who you eat with, and they are under your protection, and you are under theirs because you ate together. That's the signal. That's it. This was um, shocking behavior, shocking beyond all things. It, it's kind of like, um, well, you, if you're ever attacked by somebody close to you, that's much more painful than being attacked by a stranger. This, this is painful. So while they were eating, Jesus took bread, verse 22, gave thanks and broke and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Now, we always run to that last phrase in this verse, and, and we should, but not yet. I want to bring up something about Jesus here and his character that I am still trying to learn at this late date. Knowing he was about to be betrayed, knowing what he was about to go through, he gave thanks. How hard is that? Have you ever had somebody in hospital and you were struggling because it looked bad? And they always tell you, we're going to take him for a test. We're going to do this, that, or the other. Go down and get something to eat. And you know you need to. But every, all food, hospital food is fine. But all food tastes like air, glum, because you're just, you're in that state. And now you, because out of habit, the meal's there, and it's time to pray. How awkward is that prayer sometimes? Now, if it's not for you, you may have the gift of faith. Yay, you. 
And, and that's a good thing. I'm not being facetious. I think that's a fantastic gift to have. Well done. But for many of us, we struggle. What do you say? Because you've been praying, praying, praying. And it seems to have had none effect on the sixth floor. So what am, I say, what am I supposed to say here on the ground one? We have to be honest about this. Because if you're not, you will cause people to lose their faith later. If you're walking around saying, just pray and be happy, or that song, sing and be happy, and everything will be fine. It, not always. So what my response is instead is, pray anyway, sing anyway. Jesus gave thanks anyway. And have you ever noticed that before? That's what I think we rush by and we miss something there. It's a lesson which I am still struggling with after all this time. Bought a little fun vehicle and some people have said, is that your midlife crisis? Nope. I'm 60. I'm not going to make it to 120. This is my end of life crisis and I'm enjoying it. But even at this stage with all that road behind me, this is a lesson I struggle with. Anybody else? Getting a few nods. This is the thing about confession in a class. In this form, I'm the only forum. I'm the only one whose confession is heard. So the rest of you are great. I'm a mess. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. This is, by the way, one of the ways, one of the reasons why uh, we get our tradition of praying before meals. This and in the Old Testament, when they died because they didn't. And we know that that was a one-off, but just in case, we pray again. Jesus prayed and gave thanks because that's what you did at the Passover. There were certain rules at the Passover. Have you ever seen a seder? A seder? Have you? All right. That really makes us come alive, doesn't it? At, uh, at Rochester in, in up in Michigan, one time, and I was not there that year for reasons I don't remember. But they called in a rabbi to do a seder for uh, the, the church. I believe it was on a Saturday. Again, I wasn't there. Uh, so everybody could come and see. So that was Sabbath. And it was, it was very helpful. And so one of the years, we did not a seder, but we did an illustration. We had a table up there with everything set. Uh, we didn't have an actual lamb, but, you know, the, the settings. And I would go through the sermon and, and talk about how it's hidden here. And, how, and it helped explain it. This was a special meal. He was engaging in the, the form of the day. And they drank. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Here's a sad thing. One of the things we always have to remember about any story or illustration, the point of the story is the point of the story. I know that sounds strange, but I want you to think about the ark. Whenever, if I say the ark... And you begin to think, how much square footage does a cheetah need? You've missed the story, the point of the story. If I talk about the creation of Eve, and you start thinking about how did that rib work, and I said, you've missed the point of the story. The point of the story is God's salvation to those who obey, God's creative power. You need to remember this. I, I'll never forget, and the guys, I don't know why I was about to say his name, uh, in our tiny little living room in Dundonald, Scotland, uh, a man that was not in fellowship with us, they had their own church, which was 
just like ours except for one cup. When he read this, he read an insistence upon a form. And the form said one cup. He take one cup. If you don't watch, and it's easy for us to look at that and go, ha, 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 because uh, we, we, we can laugh at somebody else's but not at ours, right? Watch out that you don't take the, the form here. And I've, I've brought this up before. Have you ever been at a church where somebody got um, befuddled doing the Lord's Supper prayer thingy and started with the cup? And in a church of Christ, you know, you're trying to hand it off and the first guy's going, and it just becomes awkward there for a while. Somebody else goes, because you're not allowed to speak out loud in the assembly either. They have, to, they have to, it's osmosis. They have to learn it by osmosis or whispering. And then they go up and then they have to apologize. Really? That's what you get out of this? Which is a real problem because if you go to Luke, it's cup, bread, cup. Um, and now some of you are turning. Yeah, check me out. The point I'm trying to make is it's not the, for, the, the get to the point. The point is something momentous is about to happen. In fact, it already is. He doesn't say this represents my body. He says it is my body. Something has been decided in the cosmos and Jesus acts as if it's already done. This is my blood, which is poured out for many. Once again, have you ever been in a church where somebody in the prayer or in the pre-devotional says blood was spilt and people get offended? Oh, if you haven't, oh, you didn't go to my church. They say, no, no, spilling is an accident. This wasn't an accident. This was, poured, this was shed. Or, that's what you get out of this? Look at the point of the story. Jesus is saying, although I'm sitting at a table, where one of you is going to betray me and put me through hell on earth with every demon that's in the vicinity jumping on me. It's poured out for you. Take the cup. He didn't say, everybody take it except you, Judas. It was Judas too. He's going to pour out for Judas. That's a bigger point of the story to pay attention to, don't you think? And this is what unites us. This is our God. How amazing is our God instead of saying, now is that one cup or many? I'll never forget. I've got to tell this story. I wasn't going to. We had, we had this couple come over from America. We didn't know they were coming. And they had arrived to be missionaries. We're not in charge of Scotland, so it's all right. They didn't have to ask permission. But we'd only spent a couple days with them before we were going, oh, okay, this could be interesting. They decided they wanted to go up to the highlands. They went up to the highlands. One long before I got a phone call. You need to come up here. We got a problem. Okay. So we hopped in my two-cylinder car. I'm not making that up. It had a raging 27 horsepower. So we'll get there eventually. Zero to 60 by noon Thursday. But we'll get there. The Citroen Dos Chevaux, 2CV. Look them up. I wish I had one now. Loved that. Anyway, so we went on up, and uh, the lady said, they only use one cup here. I said, that, that's, that's all right. She goes, but we can use many cups. I went, I know, but one cup's okay too. She goes, so, so I'm going to order some cups from the States. And I said, that would upset the people here. 
There are only like eight or nine of them. So that'll upset them. And she goes, but, but we can, we, we're allowed to use many cups. I said, I know. We've established that. And you're allowed to do whatever you want to. One cup is what they're used to, and it's not a problem. Then she played what she thought was her trump card. She said, you could get tuberculosis that way. Actually, you can't. That's not the way you get tuberculosis. It's, it's different. But anyway, I decided not to tell her. I just said, wouldn't that be wonderful? And she just looked at me. I said, oh, go on. Cause of death, Lord's Supper. <laughs> you show that, you're getting in. I, you know, even if you messed up the order, you know, you're still getting in. She failed to see the humor. That happens so frequently. I'm assuming the problem was with everybody else, not me. But that happens a lot. What is the point of the story? It's not cups. It's not the order. It's that Jesus is saying, I know, I know, Peter, what you're going to do. I know the rest of you are going to run. I know I've told you several times, go through the Gospels and count them, meet me in Galilee, but you're not going to. You're going to go to a locked room and hide there. And only Thomas is going to be brave enough to go out to get groceries. But you're going to stay there until I come tell you again to get out and go. To... I know you're going to mess it up. I know you're going to. I'm doing this for you anyway. Have you ever thought about what this really means? And what does it mean to you? Um, remember I said, did a little experiment with some psychology students. I said to pick somebody, now find a reason to dislike them. I want you to do that and find how shockingly easy that is. Oh, it is easy. There are people in life that that's the way they look at everybody, and I, I would not want to be them. That has got to be such a terrible burden to bear, to always have to disapprove. Jesus knows everything bad about you. And as C.S. Lewis famously said, think of all the bad you've done and realize that Jesus knows even more bad stuff you've done that you didn't know was bad or you forgot about it. And he loves you anyway and is telling you to your face before he goes to the cross, I already know that I'm going for you. How, how's that hitting you right now? This is one of the reasons why I said I, even when my faith was troubled, I said I'd, I'd go to hell for this guy. I think I said I'd march into hell with this guy. This guy is amazing because the point of the story, and he says, I'll tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Do you think they had any idea what that meant? And I don't know we do. So many of us have said, that means he will, never, he will not drink this again until heaven. Do we really know he didn't drink any grape juice when he was resurrected for those days? And wasn't the kingdom here when he was with us? And we didn't know it. It used to be in Europe where every time you crossed a border, you had to stop. You had to show your passport. I think that's true. I'm not sure of any, I'm not aware of any border that that wasn't true. Now, with the European economic community, 
You just go. Because if you're a member of the community, the past, there are no, none of those rules. You can just go. You are able to drive through a country unaware you've crossed a border. Because it's not like, I'm in, I'm in France, I'm in France, I'm in France. Ooh, this looks very Germany to me. That's not the way that works. This kingdom came upon them and people didn't notice. How is that? Jesus brought the kingdom. So, am I saying that he drank grape juice during that time? No, what I'm saying is the kingdom was there, he could have. Sometimes we make assumptions that we shouldn't make about this. But they didn't get it anyway. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Wouldn't you like to know what the hymn was? There's so many things they leave out of Scripture. My problem with Scripture is not that it's too long. My problem is that there's not enough detail. All right, fair enough. And there's too much detail about stuff I'm not interested in. You know, like when Chronicles goes chapters after chapter about who begat who and who is from what tribe. And I'm going, you know, don't care. Um, I'm aware that that shows a fault within me. But then Peter predicts, uh, Jesus predicts, uh, you, will all, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now let me explain something here. It doesn't mean that they had no choice but to run. It doesn't mean that God had preordained that they run. He is quoting a passage that this is just a reality. It's out of Zechariah. When the shepherd is struck down, the, the sheep have nothing to hold them together. They run. It, this is going to happen. I'm aware this is going to happen. Once again, before he goes to the cross, I'm aware you're going to let me down. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Where are they to meet him? Galilee. Where do they go? Jerusalem. How long did it take for them to not do what Jesus told them to do? It's, it's, it's amazing, but it's also strangely comforting. And I hope you're getting that from this. Because I'm sure I disappoint God during the day when I'm not aware I've done it. But he knew. And he's okay. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I'll tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. By the way, if you go to Luke and you go to John and you count the timing of the cock crowing and the number is different. And I've had, I've had atheists say, see, see, there's, the Bible contradicts itself. And I'm saying, no, the Bible's telling you a story to make a point. It's not telling a story to get details about roosters. It's not a rooster book. It's telling you a story. Uh, even on the, do you remember the, the TV show House? The, Dr. Gregory House uh, played amazingly by a British comic actor uh, all those years, uh, Hugh Laurie. Anyway, uh, he even used this passage in one of the shows to illustrate why he didn't believe. And the nun he was talking to said, you're missing the point. I'm going, yes. Even if it was a nun, yes. 
I hope you understand I'm saying that with a tongue-in-cheek because nuns, some, nuns, some nuns I've met, I think, love Jesus more than I do. And they shame me, frankly. Uh, so we're not anti-nun. Uh, anyway, moving on. You will disown me three times. Jesus, but Peter insisted emphatically. By the way, I find it wonderful. This is Peter's story. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. There's no indication Jesus looked at him and go, go run like little, like, like little kids. He didn't say it. Why? Because he doesn't think of us that way. He thinks of us with love. He understands. He, he gets it. Um, what would it feel like to be Peter at this stage? Before baptism, in the early uh, first couple centuries of the church, there, um, they went, there is a flicker and a light, by the way, in case some of you are wondering if your medication's running out. Uh, no, it isn't. And I'm not sure. Some of these lights, if they're adjusted once, flicker at odd times for the next hour or two. We're not really sure why. Um, perhaps with a capital campaign, we can get non-flickering lights. If you are triggered in epilepsy, now would be a time to close your eyes. Seriously, because that would not be good for you. Moving on. Before baptism, they would sometimes do a fast. They would do ritual vows. In some, um, some eras, baptisms were done in the nude as a symbol of coming in with nothing and being pure. Yes, they were divided by sex. Um, and if you're wondering, does that mean women baptize women? Of course they did. Shock. Moving on. Uh, and some of them, there were, uh, there were ritual exorcisms before the baptism. They, they, there were some real complications here. What if they added one? What if before you went into the baptistry, you had to declare, I will never disappoint Jesus or betray him? Aren't you glad you didn't have to say that? I think this is given to us not as a warning. It, when I was a kid, it was always a warning because the, the Russians are coming. And when they do, they're going to make Christianity illegal and they're going to stand you up and they're going to ask you if you're a Christian, what are you going to say? <laughs> We're seven. We're going, I, I, oh no, I think the answer is Moses. I'm not really sure. We, we, we're, there's a lot of pressure to put a kid under. And, and we know that we're only going to be protected by hiding under a melanin desktop, so that didn't work. The, um, it's not a warning. It's not a test. It is once again a statement of the love of Jesus saying, oh, I already know you're going you're gonna to blow it. I'm going anyway. There is, a, there is one verse in Scripture. We'll get to it when we get to it. One verse about this after the resurrection. Jesus tells the, the women, go tell the apostles and Peter, I'm here. And then this one verse says, Jesus met with Peter privately. What they say, not recorded. What happened? Oh, I don't know. What we can do is say, next time we see Peter, he is alive for Jesus and steps up in Acts chapter 2 and says, this is what happened. Changed him. I even have a whole sermon, not going to preach it now, called 
what in the world happened to Peter? I don't tend to repeat sermons anymore because there's so many online, they catch me. So you're not going to hear it. But what in the world happened to Peter? Because he changed so much. What was it? I go back to that one verse. It was Jesus meeting with him saying, it's okay. I knew that going in. We're all right. How cool is that? I hope that you're getting this because it still hits me hard. It really hits me hard. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he became, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So now we have two groups. Have you noticed this? Um, he is separating. We're going to get the geography of this. He's separated. They're the disciples, except for Peter, James, and John. He brings them with him. Disciples doesn't mean apostles, so it could have been a much larger group than originally 12, now nine left behind. I also want to bring this up because I feel it's very important. Um, I was at a church once where they fired the youth minister. It was not my decision. Did not know it was going to happen. And one of the, one of the reasons was he had not formed good relationships, uh, you know, happy, friendly, whatever, relationships with everybody in the church. He seemed to have a few favorite families that he worked with. And I said, um, you're, you're going to have to give me more details in this. And they didn't. And this became a source of contention that we had to work our, our way through. You're allowed to have best friends. You're allowed to have favorites. Even if you're Jesus. So it's okay. You don't always have to get along with everybody. You don't have to have something in common with everybody. You know, somebody goes, you know, I really... I spend all my days in, in jazz clubs. When I come, no. No. To me, jazz is five stone guys practicing scales. I'm not interested. You know, and, and I'm sorry, but most classical music, to me, is a lot of very well-dressed people in search of a tune. Because it goes all over. And when I was a kid, they would play a record in school, and they'd say, now you're supposed to be thinking about springtime and birds. And I'm going... I didn't get that. Where's the bird? Or Peter and Wolf. Did you have to do Peter and a Wolf? Now this music means a wolf's coming. I'll, I'll remember that next time I hear a bassoon. To watch out for wild canine types. Canis lupus. I was not an easy child to raise. Friends are special. You're allowed to have special friends. And the, the Celts would call it anamkara, soul friends. Look at what Jesus says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Keep watch. Jesus doesn't yet know when they're coming, but he knows they're coming. He wants time to pray before they come. That's what this means. Going a little farther, he fell to the... So we got three separate... We got separations. You see it? We got an undetermined number. Then we have three. Then Jesus. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. I am so glad that's in Scripture. 
flicker's getting worse. <laughs> Either that or my medication ran out. <laughs> it's all right. By the way, those of you that are bothered by the flicker, that's what I see in any room lit by fluorescent. My brain has a certain frequency. Everybody's brain does. My brain, when I go into fluorescent lights, it's flickering like this. So I don't stay in those rooms long or I get a headache. And that's my reason for not coming to see you. Anyway, I'm so glad this is in here. Has God ever called you to do something you didn't want to do? <clears throat> Trick question. If you're afraid to do something, that may be a sign God called you to do it. There's a wonderful book. Oh, I wish I could preach it and claim I did it. Every, every, every word could be preached. It's by John Ortberg. O-R-T-B-E-R-G. If you do not know John Ortberg, get to know John Ortberg. The wonderful book is called, it's a long title, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. It is brilliant. I'm serious. Every time I read it, I wanted to preach it the next Sunday, but I'm thinking somebody else could have found the book. No, no. So just read it. And one of his points is, one of the signs that God is calling you to do something is that it scares you. He's not going to call you to do something which you're entirely comfortable doing. Patrick, yes, Lord. Please sit in that recliner and eat eclairs. <sighs> okay. That's not going to be it. And the more it terrifies you, the more it might be from God. It's all right to not want to do what you're called to do. And I've told you this many times. I know it's hard to believe because I'm told I make it look easy. Public speaking bothers me. Uh, Saturday night, I start not wanting to do it. And you're thinking, he's still working on a sermon. No, that's done weeks ahead. Um, Sunday morning, be a good time for Jesus to come back. I even drive a little recklessly on the way. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I can remember one time taking Cammy with me to the Tulsa workshop, and it would just overwhelm me. I just, I don't want to do this. I got out of the truck, and I just kind of leaned against the truck, and she looked at me, and I said, I, everything in me is saying, get back in the truck and drive home. It's hard. So why do I do it? it it's a matter of gratitude. And I could go on, but this isn't about me. It's gratitude to Jesus. He saved me in spite of me being one of the most broken people I know. So, okay. But I still want the hour to pass. You know you what my favorite days are? I'm serious. My favorite days are just when a meeting gets canceled. Woohoo! Don't have to be with people. And a cameo will sometimes say, let's take a walk. I'm going, you can't fool me. It's people out there. I, I, I am a man who has to work on my sense, and there are many. But here, it touches me that Jesus is saying, I don't want to do this. Think of that. Abba, Father. He said, everything is possible for you. How many times I've said that to God when I'm upset that he is not answering a prayer, saying, this is not hard for you. You could do this. Why are you not doing this? Jesus said the same prayer. If you said that prayer and felt guilty, stop. Jesus said the same one. Everything is possible for me. 
take this cup from me. That, the word cup in this phrase, very Semitic way of under, they would have a cup of pain, a cup of trial. It meant this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You know something? That's the phrase I leave out of those prayers often. What about you? Lord, let us have a safe flight, but you know, whatever you want. <laughs> I don't tend to do that. See, and, and it's kind of like, I have found in some of my prayers, instead of asking God what he wants and talking, it's more, I'm serving more of, as an advisor to God. Do you understand what I mean? God, here's the way this day should go. C.S. Lewis, again, you're going to, you may get tired of this. He had a great impact on, on my life. C.S. Lewis said, the aim of the almighty God of the universe may not be that everybody has a good day. And this prayer humbles me because Jesus put in that phrase. And I will tell you that yet, by the way, I think it's such a weak word. Don't you love the King James word instead? Nevertheless. I love that word better. I just, I just do. I, in my imagining, maybe I should have asked our brother Albert because he's a lot more of a scholar than I am. In my imagining, the entire universe was holding its breath during this prayer. In my imagining, if he had not said, yet not what I will but what you will, but had just said, stop it, God would have, and we would have all been doomed. Because I don't think God would have put Jesus through it if Jesus was not willing at the end to go where he did not want to go. I think God loved Jesus enough to say, okay then, we're writing off the universe as a bad idea, shutting it down. But when he said, nevertheless, or yet, not as I will, but you will, I think there was a huge cosmic exhale of held breath. And I think there's some wonder and surprise among the angels going, he's really going to do this. And talking about it for thousands of years, we have no idea how long, and he's really going to do it. Whoa. That's what really hits me. This chapter really gets to me. You may be able to tell that. When I was a boy, all we learned about was that, um, and, and this is being cruel and, and probably untrue, but all we really learned about was the um, cock-crowing, um, betraying thingy and the apostles sleeping when they weren't supposed to sleep thingy. When I was a boy, that was hard to do because we had some guys that prayed. You could take a nap. You knew what they were going to say anyway. So it's just kind of like, okay, we got, we got six minutes. I timed a prayer once, and I wasn't very proud of that. But anyway, he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. By the way, I imagine that was a big thing, and that these were just the, the points of the lesson. So let's have a look at it. We do, yeah, we have some time. Are you, could you not keep watch for one hour? Sometimes we can't. Sometimes our attention. The church here has a week, a couple of weeks rather, of really focused prayer 
around Easter. And what amazes me is that some people cannot wait for the moment to start to book now. And they go for the 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning ones. Those are the ones they want. Really? Okay. I was in a staff meeting, and they were arguing about who was going to get in first for these. And I'm, I was not arguing. I, I didn't get to go. I was going, okay. Um, then one of the guys is Phil. Let's just go ahead. Phil Williams is one of the guys, one of your shepherds. He turned to me and he goes, when you get older, you don't sleep that well anyway, so I'm up. <laughs> okay. He, he, is, he loves to pray. He's a great guy and a wonderful shepherd. Um, but then watch, uh, verse 38 is, is something which I, there are two different thoughts here. And I really like it. Watch and pray. I told you, every now and then, it's not often, but every now and then, my son hears something through what is called the Lance Corporal Underground. He's no longer in the Corps, but he has friends that are, and they'll send him a little thing. There's chatter. They won't tell him anything secret. It's kind of like, you know, just be a little extra careful this weekend. And so far, as far as I know, none of, nothing's ever materialized, but we, but we appreciate those. And he'll fire off a text to me, and it's usually, keep your head on a swivel, and I know what he means. And I think of watch and pray. Don't just pray. Sometimes pray with your eyes open. See where you should be salt, where you should be light, or what's coming at you. Watch and pray. Um, I don't even know if I should use this one. Let me just think. I, I have friends who are pacifist. Here's the problem about talking about pacifism. There are so many kinds. And most people think there's only one kind. No, 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 no. Uh, and other people think if you believe you have the right to defend your, your family, you're pro-war. No. And there are many shades here. So let's not paint too broadly. But I, I had a couple of friends who believed all they needed to do was pray. And I'm going, but the martyrs prayed. The, um, the people in the camps, Auschwitz, and they, they prayed. Jesus said, watch and pray. Keep your eyes open. Think. And maybe I, took, maybe I took this out of context, so red flags on the field. But I've always thought of this as, keep your eyes open. Look around that you not fall into temptation. But the next line, I think, is completely disconnected, but a favor to us. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. What's he really doing? He's answering the question he asked Peter. Couldn't you keep watch with me? I know you want to, but you're tired. Does it mean anything to you that Jesus would wrap up his little talk to Peter by saying, I get it. You're tired. You know, Jesus is off praying. It's nighttime. What are Peter and the rest of them supposed to be doing? Looking at their phones? dark. They're, they're, they go to sleep. Jesus says, I get it. By the way, this happens. One more time he went, to, prayed the same thing. Prayed the same thing. Can we stop right there? I've had people say, you're not supposed to say the same thing in prayer because the Bible talks about vain repetitions. No, you messed an adjective. Vain. A lot of my prayers are the same words, but I mean them. They're not vain and empty. 
I have a lady, it will hit my mailbox tomorrow, who emails me every Monday with, it's Monday morning, what can I pray for you about? This is a lady from Colorado. She's done it every Monday. I, think, I don't think she's missed one since about half the time we were in Colorado. And she's followed us here and she, what can I pray for you? She does this even though she has gone through horrific loss with the loss of a newborn child and she never misses. means a lot to me. Sometimes it puts a little pressure on me because I'm thinking, ah, blah, 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 what to pray for? Because it's almost always the same thing. If you want to know what to pray for me, here it is. Wisdom, because I need it. Health, because I want it. And strength for the journey. Just enough strength to do what I'm called to do. And I feel sometimes bad just saying the same thing, but it's not vain. That's what I need every single day. Wisdom, health, and strength for the journey. And I bet you've got some of those too. He prayed the same thing again. Did God go, well, I've heard that. No. No. It wasn't vain. And he came back. He found them again. i got to hurry. Time. Sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus didn't run. He's got some work to do. Let's get up. We're going to have to stop there, kind of like a cliffhanger. Even though you know the end of the story, there are some aspects of the story maybe you haven't noticed before. Looking forward to going over that. Got, got a minute. Do you have any questions, comments, things you want to throw, flags on the field? Yes, J.C.? Right, we, the divinity of Jesus is a given. The humanity is a mystery. That's exactly. I, I agree. That is comforting to know Jesus didn't want to go through. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mark is, is actually, to me, a very comforting gospel because there are adjectives and adverbs used about Jesus and Mark that aren't used in any of the other gospels where Jesus gets upset, aggravated, and I'm going, yay, because if he does, then he understands when I do. It's not he does so I can. He does so he understands when I do. There's a difference there. Any, anything else? All right. Be salt and light.